G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist and Bible teacher. Bringing people far from God near to God. We believe in one truth that will be delivered in love and compassion. Connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello, my name is Bill and welcome. Today we're hearing another message from Pastor Jeff's series, Hey Up There. Don't worry if you've missed any parts of this series so far. You can always find them wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines. In this episode, we're still looking at Matthew chapter 7 and prayer why we should pray. Pastor Jeff will give us a fresh look at the verse, Ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find. Here's Pastor Jeff now. One of the things I like to do is I like to read people's prayers. I think it reveals a lot about a person and the type of prayer that they pray. I've got a few I want to share with you. The This is the retiree's prayer, okay? Retiree's prayer, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my shape to keep. Please no wrinkles, please no bags, and please lift my backside before it sags. Please no age spots, please no gray, and as for my belly, please take it away. Now that's honest prayer right there. That's a retire. Here's a manipulator's prayer, okay? Dear Lord, as your humble servant, let me prove to you that by winning the lottery, it won't change me. You ever prayed that prayer? Here's the one I like, a realist prayer, okay? Dear Lord, so far today, I've not gossiped, lost my temper, been greedy, grumpy, selfish, or self-indulgent. I've not whined, complained, cursed, or eaten any chocolate. I have charged nothing on my credit card, but very soon I'll be getting out of bed and I think I'm really gonna need your help. (laughs) That's a realist prayer right there, isn't it? That's the real stuff right there. Uh, Tim Hawkins, a favorite comedian of mine, says that it's a wonder our children are absolutely terrified if you think about the prayers that we pray with them in the dark before they go to sleep. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. What, I can lose my soul? If I die before I wake, there's a chance I might die? I pray the Lord my soul to take. And then we look at them and say, sweet dreams. See you in the morning. Maybe. We also pray prayers sometimes uh, that attempts to make up for some bad decisions that we make. Uh, Like when we say, Lord, bless this food. 
to the nourishment of our bodies. And we got a bag of Cheetos and a jumbo Dr. Pepper and hot dogs that we're about to devour. You know, how, do you, how does God bless that? Uh, God turned this Cheeto into a carrot stick on the way down. Uh, may the spirit of low carb rain down upon us. We, we provide a hedge of protection around our pancreas. You know, how does that work? Uh, I, I know of a woman who's, a, who's known as a prayer warrior. She's in her 70s. And uh, her husband passed away. And that's why, knowing, knowing that I knew that she was a prayer warrior, I was a little suspicious when she said two months after her husband died, one of her friends saw her and said, I have never seen you look so good. And she said, well, when the pain in your backside is gone, it's amazing how good you can feel. I thought, <laughs> prayer. Prayer is a mysterious thing. And before I get into the text on the Sermon on the Mount, it's important that we remember that we're talking about what Jesus had to say about prayer. So if we believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, God himself is speaking to you and me about prayer. And prayer is a very mysterious, powerful, and frustrating thing. Let's be honest, there are some people that you would just like to smack because every time they pray, God seems to say, okay, yeah, you can have it. Whatever they pray for gets done. Now, they're the exception. I think they're not the rule, but my grandmother was like that. Uh, You did not want her praying for one of your friends who was far from God. You did not want her to start praying. If you say, grandma, pray for my friend who's far from God that he might come near, she'll start praying for trouble. Because she really believes that you won't come to Christ until he pulls the rug out from under you and you got nothing left. So you do, if you really love somebody, you don't want them to be harmed, do not get my grandmother to pray for them. Because God will orchestrate and fashion events in their lives to bring them to the end of themselves. That's how God calls you in. You got to get to the end of yourself before you'll kneel humbly before God. She was a poor lady, didn't have a lot of money. And uh, she lived in the country in the mountains of East Tennessee, and my father would take me up to visit her. And I remember numerous times my father saying, well, Bessie, or he'd call her Bessie, it's his mother, mom, where did you get the food? She goes, God always provides. It was amazing. She had no money, very little sustenance, and my father was amazed. Every time he visited her, she's always got food, plenty. God will always provide. I just pray, and God brings it to my door. She had blackberry bushes at the back of her home. She loved blackberries and jam and biscuits. And those doggone blackberries, it it, it almost seemed like they grew in the winter. Whatever she prayed for. You ever met anybody like that? Man, you just pray and it happens. Now, but for most of us, we have a lot of questions about prayer. Like, why do some get answered and some not? And some spiritual person in the room right now will say, well, they're all answered. The answer is just no. Well, you know what I mean. Why do, why do some of our prayers, boom, like that, others, just nothing? And why is it that God allows some pretty atrocious things to happen on planet Earth while his people are praying for the alternative? And why is it that sometimes when I'm praying, it's like the lights are on, but nobody's home? That's what pastors never want to talk about. Prayer's a, a beautiful thing, a powerful thing, unless you're on the wrong side of it. It's incredibly frustrating. So the only thing to do is go to the Sermon on the Mount where God speaks to us and try to find some resolution. So I want to deal with this in three ways. I want to talk about the text. We're going to read it together and look at what it says. Then I want to talk about the tension that is unresolved in the text, a question that's not answered. And then we want to find the resolution together within the text. 
So here's what Jesus says. Jesus said, suppose you got a friend. You go to him at midnight and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me. I have no food to offer. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, Jesus says, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Verse 9 says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Verse 11, and this is a harmony of the Gospels in Luke 11 and Matthew 7 that I'm combining. Both Gospels tell the same part of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, which of you fathers, if, you, if your son asks for fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay, let's look at the text. Here's what Jesus says. He says, imagine this scenario. You're in bed, asleep. It's in the middle of the night. Your neighbor comes to the door, starts knocking. He looks up to you in the window and he says, I need three loaves because there's a traveler that's come to my house in the middle of the night and I have nothing to set before him. Now, here's what you have to understand. First of all, when you took long trips in the days of Jesus, you would often travel at night when it was cooler. Long trips would be taken on these long, dusty, windy roads. There are no rest areas, no truck stops, no golden arches, no Taco Bell, no in and out which is why people live longer. <laughs> they were to to totally dependent upon the hospitality of the villages through which they traveled. In fact, hospitality was associated with the reputation and the pride of a village. You know how today we have brew, blue ribbon apple pies and we have these fairs and we give blue ribbons out for the best homemade dish? Well, back in Jesus' day, we've had historical records where villages were awarded awards for being the most hospitable. It was a pride of the village. And so every house in Jesus' day was literally in a village, an Airbnb. And he didn't have to book it ahead of time and it cost you nothing. So the hour of arrival of a guest was irrelevant. Even if the guest arrived at midnight, the host had to provide a meal, whether he wanted to cook it or not, and the guest had to eat the meal, whether or not he was hungry. That's the way hospitality worked. So when a stranger came to your home, the meal that you set before him or her is not only a representation of the honor and value of your family, but the honor and value of the entire village. So if a, if a traveler showed up at a three-star B&B, it was the responsibility of the five-star B&B to come over and help provide the very best meal possible to set before a guest, a weary traveler. Now that explains why in the text I read, the neighbor goes over and says, I have nothing to set before him. What does that mean exactly? Does it mean he has no food in the house? The cupboard is bare? He forgot to do the shopping? No. You know what that means? And I've used this analogy before, but it's, it's very powerful. It's the same thing my wife means when she goes into the closet and there's a gazillion shoes and clothes for Africa. And we're about to go to an event and she turns to me and she says, I have absolutely nothing to wear. Now, what does she mean by that? Does she mean that she has no clothes? Does it mean that clothing is optional in our household? What does she mean when she says, I have absolutely nothing to wear? What she means is I have nothing to wear that will not make me look like a fashion challenge hag married to a cheapskate. That's what she means. <laughs> you got it? So 
When the neighbor goes over, I've got nothing to set before him. What he's saying is I have nothing in the house that would uphold the reputation, hospitality of our village in this community. Now, when the neighbor goes over, he asks for three loaves. That's like asking for silverware. It's a lesser grain of bread, barley bread, and you would take that bread and you'd roll it up. And if you had meat sauce or vegetable sauce, you, that was your knife and fork and spoon in the day of Jesus. So he goes over asking for the very basics, knowing though and expecting that the neighbor would give him so much more. Why? Because he knows that the neighbor should know that the honor and the reputation and admiration of the village is at stake. So he asks for the minimum, hoping to get so much more. Now, when Jesus starts this story, grammatically, in the original language, it's, it's like Jesus saying, suppose this could happen, but it's something that's preposterous, okay? So imagine this could happen. It's like my wife saying to her girlfriends, imagine that my husband is always right. <laughs> See that? Nobody's going to believe that for a second. And my wife would have to say, just for the sake of argument, let's say he's always right. Now Jesus is saying, okay, imagine that the neighbor doesn't respond to the one in need. He says, from inside, he answers and says, do not bother me. The door's already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Jesus is saying, suppose that could happen. But the truth is, Jesus' audience would be saying, that's absurd. There's no way that would ever happen because this is going on publicly. Even though it's in the middle of the night, there's going to be so many people in the village hear this conversation. And to say no to your neighbor who's in need to uphold the hospitality of the village would be to lose face and respect. So Jesus says, all right, just for the sake of argument, if he did refuse to get up and help you, what would you do? He goes on, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So what's Jesus saying? What would you do? You go to your neighbor, you need some bread, uphold the honor of the community, but your neighbor doesn't even turn the light on. What do you do? Just keep knocking and then pause a little bit and let him just get back half sleep. And so just stand there and keep knocking. Sooner or later, he's going to get his wife to go over to the window and say, is he still there? Is he still there? No, he's still there. And finally, Jesus says, if you keep knocking and you keep persisting, he's finally going to get up and he's going to get up and give you what you want. Not because he likes you and not because you're his friend. Sheer persistence will wear him down. Okay. That's the text. Now, what's the tension? Well, the tension is, is God like a cranky neighbor? Is that what God is like? I go to his door of heaven and I knock and he acts like he's asleep? Doesn't even turn the light on? And then he gets Gabriel, the archangel, to go over. Is that pest still there? Send him away. I'm busy up here. Is that what God is like? Now, to understand what's happening in the text... We talk about hermeneutics, which is the science of biblical interpretation. And when you don't handle passages appropriately, all kinds of bad things happen. In parables, when Jesus uses a primary teaching method of his day in the parable, in parables, you move from light to heavy. You listening? You move from what is light to what is heavy. And what that means is you take a human characteristic, light, and you talk about how we humans deal with one another and then you contrast and compare that with how God deals with us, heavy. Let me say it again. You move from light to heavy. Take a human character, highlighting the way he or she would operate, contrasting that with God and the way he would operate, light to heavy. So what Jesus is saying is if you go to your neighbor in the middle of the night, everything's against you. He's tucked into bed. The kids 
are tucked into bed, doors are locked, lights are off. He doesn't, he may not even like you. And yet, in your human experience, if you want something bad enough, you go and you persistently ask, knowing that your neighbor will eventually respond because your persistence will wear him down. And so Jesus is saying, if you do that with your neighbor who's grudge prone, what would you do with a God that you've already learned in the Sermon on the Mount is for you? Our Father who art in heaven, Uranus, closer than the air that you breathe, who's always attentive, never absent, and longs to give you every good gift. So if you're willing to persist with a grudge-prone, reluctant neighbor, shouldn't you also persist with a father who wants to give you every good thing? Dallas Willard says, far more than you want your prayers answered, God longs to give wonderful things to every one of his children. So with your neighbor, everything's against you. Still, you persist. With God, everything's for you. Shouldn't you persist again? David understood this, and he said in Psalm 116, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplication, because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I shall call upon him as long as I live. Now, that's the text, but we haven't solved the tension at all, have we? Because there's some of you in the room right now that I lost you about five minutes ago. And here's why. You're thinking this, dude, I've been camped out at the door of God for 10 years and I've been begging and persisting. I got nothing. I'm not even sure the light's on. I'm not even sure he's up there. So don't tell me that Jesus teaches if you persist, it's a good thing because I've been persisting and it appears to me that God is reluctant because I've been asking for a long time and things don't seem to be changing. One time a lady came up to me after a prayer service and said, you know, Pastor Jeff, the reason you guys don't get your prayers answered around here is you don't pray right. <laughs> now, I, just, I wasn't in my typical hospitable, jovial mood. When I'm happy, I'll usually just smile and say, thank you, I'll think about that. <laughs> now, let me translate that for you. You're an idiot, don't say that again. <laughs> okay, sorry, I'm just human. But on this particular occasion, I thought, you know what, I'm not gonna let you get away with that. Because I started listing for all the things God had done. You know, I talked about my friend Frida who fought cancer. And people gathered around her and prayed for her. Boom, healed. I think about my friend Rick who comes on Saturday night to the service who had an addiction that was basically destroying his life. People gathered around, prayed for him all of a sudden. Now you cannot, you cannot have a service without him being there. And lifting his hand toward heaven because of how God has rescued him. I think about my own friend, Anthony McMahon, one of our elders here who was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Doctor told him it's bad, really bad. He said, we're gonna have to think about what we're gonna do here. He comes home, his small group all gather around him. Pastor Phil comes over, says a prayer. Next thing you know, he goes back to the doctor. The doctor says, I can't explain it, it's gone. Look, I got so many of those stories. However, I got just as many stories where we pour our heart out in prayer and it doesn't get answered that way. Let's just be honest. Sometimes the miracle comes down. Other times I wonder myself, are you listening? And Jesus tells us here in the first part of the text to persist that God is not like a neighbor who's reluctant. He's not reluctant at all. He wants more than we want these good things. God wants these good things for us. And he continues in verse nine by saying, so I say to you, this is Jesus talking, God in the flesh, ask, it'll be given, seek, You'll find, knock, the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open. 
And in the original language, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you know it's written, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. Now, my response is, why? Why do I have to keep asking? I mean, is God deaf? I mean, does God just want me to squirm? I mean, it seems to me I could go to God and ask him what I want, and boom. Does he get a thrill out of me begging and begging and begging, please, 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 please. So, Jesus' central point in the parable is that we are to persist. And we persist not because God is reluctant. We persist for another reason. So what is it? Now, this is where, where Jesus shows his brilliance. And he would be brilliant. He's God. I mean, he's smart. The text, God is not a reluctant neighbor. The tension, it seems like it sometimes. What's the resolution? And Jesus wants to make sure they understand what he's saying, so he develops a third part of the parable. Verse 11, now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He would not give him a snake instead of a fish, would he? Now, this word used is a barbut. It's a, uh, it's a large, ill-like creature found in the Sea of Galilee. It's about five feet long, uh, no scales, totally inedible. So he said, how many of you dads, if your son came to you and asked for a fish, which was basic staple, but main staple, you would give him the snake. Hey, son, I've got you a fish. Have a snake. Well, that's not the heart of the father. Dads aren't like that. Verse 12, or if he asks for an egg, he will give him a scorpion. Now, a scorpion, in the time of Jesus, when it rolls up in a defensive position, it was said to have looked like an egg. So how many of your sons ask for an egg and you say, here, have an egg. It looks like an egg. Then he bites and he gets stung by a scorpion. That's not what a father does. And then in verse 13, he says, but if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, let's pause for a moment. If you being evil, well, I don't really like being called evil, but relatively speaking, it may not be the whole truth about us as fathers, but... If you're like me, you can be selfish and insensitive and vindictive and petty, and that's on a good day. <laughs> but even I know how to give good gifts to my children. Even in my present state, I remember the smile on my daughter's face when I bought her the biggest stuffed animal at the Glendora Mall. Not here, we're talking about New Zealand. Tigger from Winnie the Pooh. And how all those little girls, when I walked out of it, they were looking at me like, man, you must be the greatest dad ever. And it's because I am the greatest dad ever. <laughs> And I remember what my son looked like when he got his first Nintendo, a day that will live in infamy. I should have never done it. It's done now. <coughs> but I'm not God. I could not see what would happen in the days to come. But I remember the smile on his face. And what Jesus is saying in this little section is that if in your life you have ever, even for a moment, felt the joy of giving, take that feeling and purge it of all selfishness and intensify it a thousand times and extend it through all of eternity. And only then will you get just a glimmer of the self-giving, joy-filled love of a father. More than you want your prayers answered, God actually longs to give wonderful things to every single one of his children. So Jesus is saying, whatever else you do, don't stop praying. I know we haven't solved the tension yet. The text, God is not reluctant to give you good things. The tension, I ask, but he often seems reluctant. The resolution, you know what it is, right? You have to start seeing God as your father. 
You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. If you know the story of David and Jonah, you know that in their honesty, they don't run from God, but run to God. And in their honesty and their questions, God then begins to shape their thoughts and to teach them the thing for which they really should be praying. Oh, now we're getting a hint. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.